What's up, everybody? This is the Pearsall Bros Podcast. My name is Mark, and I'm with my brother, Pat. College football season is here. We break down what is easily the most competitive league in college, the Pac-12. Not sure if we get a team to the college football playoff or not, but it's going to be must-watch TV. And our Mariners are in it to win it. Seattle is one of the hottest teams in baseball, and the season has only 30 games left. Do they have enough to win the AL West and beyond? We discuss that and more. Hope you guys enjoy it. Hey everybody, hope your summer has been treating you well. We are riding in to September. Today is August 27th, we're recording this podcast, and we are on the doorstep of what I think is the best part of the calendar for sports. You've got college football, technically started this week, this was week zero, Notre Dame and Navy played in Ireland, SC played yesterday, a couple other games, week following that, of course, the NFL kicks off, maybe off the radar for some folks, but the tail end of the golf season is happening this weekend and next weekend, and then the Ryder Cup, which is one of the coolest events uh, happening in Rome this year, that happens at the end of September, and then, of course, the baseball season, we are at like 32, 33 games left, and some races, both the wild cards uh, on both sides are heating up. The AL West race is awesome. Going into today, Rangers and the Mariners are tied for first place, and the Astros are just one game back, so it's a tight three-game race. But we're going to start off talking about the upcoming Pac-12 football season, and as I re-listened to last week's podcast, <laughs> the first five to ten minutes felt very somber and for good reason, I suppose. We were talking about the demise of the Pac-12, and it kind of felt a little bit like a eulogy. And as I was listening to that, I thought, man, we got to sort of flip this around and really enjoy the last full Pac-12 year because the more and more I did a little bit of research into it, this might be the best in terms of most competitive and the largest batch of really, really good competitive teams in the Pac-12 that they've seen maybe in the in the 108 years of the conference. Well, it's certainly going to be the most competitive season we've seen out of the conference in a while. I mean, you have USC, Washington, Oregon, and Oregon State all ranking in the top 20. I think Utah's right there as well. It's, it's going to be a fantastic football season. Of course, it is going to be the last football season in the Pac-12 as we have known it for a long time, certainly our lifetimes, the last 40-plus years. A little nostalgic on that end, but it is going to be quite possibly one of, if not the best football seasons we've ever had out here in the Pac-12 Conference of Champions. Yeah, as we approach in the AP preseason top 25 poll, the Pac-12 has more teams in the top 20, if you want to get really specific, in the top 18. But just to just the numbers round, in the top 20, the Pac-12 has five teams represented. SC is six. Washington's 10, Oregon's 13, Utah's 14, and Oregon State is 18. 
but the the big powerhouse, the big dogs, SEC and the Big Ten only have four apiece, and the ACC and the Big 12, three and less. So uh, we're tooting our horn for the last go-around here. We're pretty excited about it. Looking at the games and the teams in the upcoming season, some folks nationally might think that there's a clear-cut favorite, and they're going to point at USC, and why not? They have the returning Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams, who is an awesome football player. Really, really fun to watch. I watched the first half and then the next, uh, the first five minutes of the second half of their game one against San Jose State, and he looked every bit the part. He didn't look like he had taken a step back or maybe he had gotten too confident or too cocky. He, he looked in midseason form yesterday. Now, some of their other parts were... You know, maybe a little rusty, but it's week zero, you know, first week. You don't know team wants to be peaking at that time anyways. But why Utah isn't considered the favorite is a little bit weird considering they've won the Pac-12 conference two years in a row. Now, the reason is everybody's a little nervous about the, the knee injury for Cam Rising, their quarterback. But if he can get healthy and if he can get back to what he where he typically plays at, there's no reason why Utah can't win it three times in a row. I agree. And um, Utah also has probably the strongest, one of the stronger schedules this year in the Pac-12. Certainly non-conference schedule. They're playing both Florida and Baylor, and then maybe pulling back a little bit for Weber State. No offense, Weber State. Um, But then they're also playing some pretty heavy hitters in the Pac-12 as well. Oregon State, USC, Oregon, Washington. Um, you know, some, there's some other teams like USC, USC favored to win the Pac-12, and, and again, for good reason, they have the returning Heisman Trophy winner, but they have a relatively, compared to some of the other schools in the Pac-12, a relatively weak schedule, and their non-conference games this year are San Jose State and Nevada, not, not particularly powerful football teams. They also have to play Notre Dame. In South Bend, so that's a that that's a real game right there. They're also playing Arizona State and Colorado and Stanford and Arizona and Cal and UCLA, which is a rivalry, so you never know. But as is showing at least preseason to maybe not be as strong as they ever have been. So USC favored, but they don't have the strongest schedule. So if a team like Utah comes out, beats Florida, beats Baylor, and beats some of these other teams, and USC struggles with some levels or even takes a loss to Notre Dame, because that Notre Dame game is in October. Of course, if you're going to lose, it's better to lose earlier in the season. And so if Utah starts rolling and SC loses to Notre Dame, that could make a real... And of course, the next week, they play Utah. So that's that's a potentially huge game, October 21st. Yeah. USC is going... I mean, if they don't start 6-0, and then it'll be a real... Not embarrassment, but it'll be a disappointment for sure. They'll be heavily favored in those first six games for sure. And a little reminder to the listeners out there, 12-team conference, not everybody plays everybody. So that's why the schedule does matter. So it's broken up into the north and south. It's a little wonky because Stanford and Cal are in the north and Utah and Colorado are in the south. So you play every team in your end of the conference. I mean, you play four of the teams on the other side. One of the great things about the Pac-12 is we play nine conference games versus other folks. But the south is inferior to the north this year. So USC and Utah, they get... 
Colorado, who's not as good. They get Arizona State, who's not as good. They get Arizona, who's on the rise. Arizona's played better, but definitely not as good. UCLA, a rebuilding year, brand new quarterback. They're not going to be as good. So that's why I think the the as the schedules go, Washington, Oregon, and Oregon State, in terms of three of those top five teams, it's going to be tougher for them because they all play each other. Now, Washington and Oregon both play SC, so they will. SC will have to uh, run into some real foes. I think collectively, though, there aren't a ton of teams that have, or there's only one team that really has a hard non-conference schedule, and that is Utah, as Pat mentioned. They play both Florida and Baylor. SCC in a Big 12 school. Everybody else has more cupcakes than not. So that's going to, I think, build up the Pac-12. And you could see come October 1st, I know I said uh, the Pac-12 has five of the top 18 teams in the top 25 poll right now. Come October 1st, it could be five of the top 12 teams. I see no reason why they may not all be undefeated or maybe one loss for either team. So um, September is going to be uh, a reason to celebrate, and uh, I think the Pac-12 is going to get a lot of national attention besides all of the banter and uh, talk about uh, this being the last year. Mark, you're absolutely right. The other side of that coin is that you know, come September, the first few weeks, everybody wins. And then the month of October happens, and all of these teams have to start playing each other. <laughs> yeah. And then the law of average, you know, somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. This has happened in the Pac-12 before, where you have really five teams that are nationally could be really good teams, but they have to play each other. So by the end of the season, you've got all these really good teams that are like 9-3. and three or eight and four, or whatever they are, because they've had to play each other all year. And then teams like Ohio State, or Michigan, or Alabama, the schedule, they're not playing as many great teams. No offense to those teams. SEC is good. The Big 12 is good. The Big 10 is good. We understand that. But it's a little more top-heavy. It's not quite as... uh, The talent isn't quite as spread out as it is in the Pac-12. And so you're going to have all these teams playing each other. People are going to lose. And then you're going to say, oh, well, this Oregon team who might have two losses at the end of October because they've had to play all these real teams. You know, by the end of October, they will have had played Washington, Utah, should win those games, potentially, could win those. Those are both traveling traveling games for them, so they could lose those games, and then all of a sudden they're out, but they're still better than half the other teams. Yeah, I think that the key to make it to the college football playoff is to have like two top-tier teams in your conference and then have half the teams just garbage. And you're going to have... Like you're not going to have full on like 12 teams in a conference, at least historically. You're not going to have two good and 10 really terrible. That's not how it's going to be weighed out. But to Pat's point, the Pac 12 really is the top end, isn't just like one or two or three teams. They could seriously end up the year with five teams with two losses, which takes everybody out of the college football playoff. Whereas in the Big Ten, you know, those teams like Ohio State and Michigan, like you mentioned, like they're running through Indiana's and Purdue's and Maryland's and Rutgers. And Pac-12 has the version of theirs. Don't get me wrong. Like Arizona State, not going to be good. Stanford, not going to be good. Cal, not going to be good. Colorado, 
really am excited to watch Colorado because I just they brought in so many transfers and a lot of their guys actually came from FCS, which isn't quite Division two, but you know definitely lower tier than um, your typical Division one programs. And just be interesting to it's going to be fun to watch Deion Sanders, but his kid Shadur Sanders playing quarterback there. I just it's hard to tell because you can't tell me the competition in any of the games he plays this year is going to be the same as it was at Jacksonville State. So that's up in the air. They could end up winning. I think they'll be better at the end of the year than they are at the beginning of the year. You could have a bunch of really good teams towards the top end of your conference, but maybe a handful of teams look just a leg or two better. But I really don't think that's the case. I really don't. I think all of those five teams that we mentioned, again, SC, Utah, Oregon, Oregon State, and Washington, could all beat each other. They were all competitive with each other last year, minus Utah stomping USC in the Pac-12 championship game. But they really could, in theory, all sort of beat each other. I mean, all those games were close last year. All the same quarterbacks are coming back with the new, um, with the exception of, of course, DJU. I'm going to butcher his name, DJ Ungalela. Uh, I've got to get better at that as an Oregon State alumnus. But with him coming into the conference, too, you've got five strong quarterbacks. Uh, on those sides, like the Apple Cup, get ready for Washington State to bring everything they got against Washington. If Washington ends up being that team that does kind of run the table or only has one loss, I wouldn't put anything past the Cougs to beat them in the Apple Cup. We kind of talked about this a little bit last time, but in for some of these rivalries, um, it's going to be the last time they've played. Now, Oregon and Oregon State have said that they're going to make it happen. However, they're going to do that, but they've pledged to make it happen. So good for them. You know, Washington State, interesting year. You know, first new coach, 27-year-old Ben Arbuckle, former offensive coordinator from Western Kentucky, Go Hill Toppers. Yeah. Um, that might be, I mean, it's, they can really only go up. Yeah, they're well, they're going to have a high-powered offense because that's what they do at Western Kentucky. And Cam Ward's a good quarterback, but they – they just don't have the ult- like the talent level like the when you looked at like the preseason take that with a grain of salt I suppose but when you the preseason all conference first team uh, offense and defense was really loaded with those top five teams for a reason talent at the end of the day particularly in college talent wins I mean good coaching matters don't get me wrong but at the end of the day we may have had a better coach sometimes at Oregon State than our opponents but hard to tackle someone if you can't touch them That's <laughs> and if they're faster they're faster. <laughs> That's exactly right. So it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I, I think, Mark, to your point, your original point, you know, you're correct. Those big rivalry games are going to be more intense this year than they have certainly in seasons past. And one of those teams, you know, USC, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, Utah, somebody's going to surprise and pull away, and somebody somebody by, just by the law of averages is going to fall. You know, totally. Somebody and somebody from behind the pack is going to come up, too. I mean, I think the sentimental favorite everybody's talking about is Oregon State. I think everybody would love to see Oregon State, and they could. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns. They have the new quarterback, DJ. They might. They really could if if, if the, the ceiling for them is very high. No one's actually, like, seen it yet. Yeah. But, this, but they really could potentially turn it on and do really well. I think everybody would love to see that. Yeah, they lost by SC... They lost by three points to SC. They lost by three points to Washington. They were in both those games. They beat Oregon last year. Um, they struggled against Utah, but you know Utah is is good, and so they're all 
they're they're good enough to beat all of those teams for sure. So they've got enough pieces, but I think you're right because the margin is so thin, you get like a handful of injuries and even if they're not season long, but if all of a sudden if Caleb Williams, the quarterback for SC, and I've thought about this, his his future is so bright and he's going to be the first pick in the draft like no matter what if he has like a shoulder or a knee and if he tweaks something I do believe it's in his best interest to maybe be a little bit more conservative and cautious because NFL teams would take him number one draft pick today they don't need to see him win a Pac-12 championship to know that he's good enough to be the number one pick in the draft let, let us remember, Patrick Mahomes played 500 football at Texas Tech. College success doesn't guarantee you pro success. So because of that, I've had that sort of thought in the back of my head. Like if I'm, not, I'm, I'm definitely, absolutely, I'm a Caleb Williams fan. He's so much fun to watch. And by all accounts, he's a, he's a good kid. He's got his uh, head on straight, good parents. Because he's basically locked in to however much money the first overall pick gets, I don't know if it's like... 18, 20 million or something like that. It's not like if your knee is a little bit wonky or if your ankle, or if your hand or if your elbow and he's like, you know what, I'm going to sit out. That's enough. Or for any other team for that matter. If Michael Penix for Washington or Bo Nix for Oregon, like those guys miss one game and they play one of those other top five teams, they're probably going to lose that game. And there you go. So the margin of error is razor thin this year. Right. I mean, anything could happen with any team. I mean, it would be an incredibly Oregon Duck thing to do to lose to a crummy team late in the year. I mean, I'm, they play Cal and Arizona State, teams they should beat. They play both those teams in November. It would be very Oregon Ducks to lose, to to have to like run the table, and then, and then everybody's like, all right, all we have to do is beat USC and then Oregon State, we're out of here, and then they just drop one to some team that they have. That, that, that always happens, though. Every season that happens to a team. Um, I was going to say, that's not just an Oregon Duck thing. That's a college football thing. I mean, how many times do you think, because, again, let's, these are 18 to 22-year-old kids. So cruising into a game that you're supposed to win by two touchdowns, hard for them to just be locked in. Ball is not a circle. It's, uh, it's a unique shape. It can bounce a lot of different ways. You get a couple bad calls. You just never know what's going to happen. And... 20-year-olds don't bring their best every day. They just don't. And so that's what also is the beauty of the sport. So if I were to pick a winner, I am going to be rooting so hard for Oregon State. So hard for Oregon State. I don't think they're going to stub their toe, but just like I think they have the ability to beat anybody, they also could lose three games because, well, they don't have to play USC, which is, which is good for them, but they do have to play Utah, Washington, and Oregon. Anything can happen. This the game formerly known as the Civil War is in Eugene, and I'm a believer that the the hometown team has an advantage. When I was in school all four years, the hometown uh, the home team won every game, and so no reason why to think uh, both those teams are evenly matched this year. So you give the advantage to U of O because it's in Eugene. Oregon State's got a chance, but if I was a betting man. I would probably put money on Utah. Again, I just trust their defense. And I think Cam Rising's going to come back. He's good enough. They've got the pedigree. They know what it takes. And I think the one thing for USC, they've brought in so many transfers. It takes a while to gel. And 
play as a cohesive unit. And they they looked rusty last night against San Jose State. Now, again, they won, and so maybe I'm looking too much into it, but I think SC stubs their toe a couple times, and I'll never forget the way Utah just manhandled them in the Pac-12 championship game last year. And there's no reason to think that Utah will win the line of scrimmage battle between those two teams again this year. Granted, now the, the games in the LA Coliseum, and even though there is like a north and south division, remember, folks, the Pac-12 doesn't take the winner of the north versus the winner of the south, which is a good thing. We just take the two best teams. So it could be Washington versus Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. It could be USC versus Utah. But uh, if I was to pick a team today, I think... Utah, but I also think all five of those teams could do it. I think the USC has the clearest path based on strength of schedule and just the highest potential ceiling. You know, Utah also, you know, they have a harder kind of non-conference schedule, especially out front, Florida and Baylor. Of course, I'm rooting for Oregon. They, they, they could totally do it, though, too. They've got some big, big games in Oregon. USC is is in Eugene this year. So, of course, the game formerly known as the Civil War is in Eugene as well. I'm rooting for one a Pac-12 team to get into the football playoff. That would be sweet for the last year. I I am as well, but I but I don't think that's going to happen because I I strongly do believe they're all good enough that you're going they're all going to have at least two losses. I think that's a very real possibility. You know, maybe next season when we get to the uh, 12 team season, but that's that's a whole other conversation to be had. This is a good place to take a break. We're going to step away for a moment, come back, talk about some baseball. All right. All right. Well, as my brother Mark said, we are recording this on August 27th, which means it's almost September, which means that baseball season is coming to a close. We are down to crunch time, the final 30, 32 games or so. Um, This is when it really starts to matter, when the playoff races are really heating up. And for us... Here in the Northwest, we are big Seattle Mariner fans, and they made the playoffs last year for the first time in 22 years. 22 seasons, a very long time. It Uh, was the longest drought of all four major sports teams, sports franchises in North America. Yeah, it was was terrible. Anyway, (laughs) so they finally made it, and then everybody kind of thought, well, shoot, maybe are they they finally turning it around? Is it finally starting to happen? Because that's that's a super long drought. Well, anyway, as of today, they're in first place in the AL West when it really matters, and they're playing incredibly well. They're playing really, really well. They're 9-1 in their last 10 games. They had two eight-game winning streaks in the month of August. That's fantastic. They're 73 and 56. They're playing the Kansas City Royals right now. They're up two games, oh, in that series. Uh, they're showing really well. Their young star that they really kind of bet the farm on, Julio Rodriguez, is so far showing to be a good investment. He is the quickest Mariner to 50 home runs and 60 stolen bases. Incredible. Faster than A Rod, faster than Ken Griffey Jr. 
incredible. Yeah, this season has been, quite honestly, the first two, three months, though, it started with a lot of hype. Seattle, because the playoff run they made last year, again, they, they beat the Blue Jays in the first round, so they make it to the division series, and then they lose there to the Astros in heartbreak. I'll never forget Robbie Ray throwing a fastball right down the middle to Jordan Alvarez in game one, and him just like punching it to Arkansas, basically. He hit that ball so far, and if we win that game, game one against the Astros last year in the playoffs, maybe we go on to beat them. Started off with all the same momentum. We picked up a couple of uh, what were th- thought of as pretty good free agents. Teoscar Hernandez from Toronto, Colton Wong at second base for St. Louis, and A.J. Pollock in the outfield. The first 60 games happen, and it is vanilla. And they're way under the pace to get to where they needed to be. And it was not looking good for the Mariners. So, And for Seattle fans, it in the last 22 years, it hasn't started with great expectations. It's been like, well, maybe we can turn it around. Maybe we can get better. So you never really were all that disappointed in June because you just expected them not to succeed and make it to the playoffs. But by this June, it was like, we had a chance. We had a good team. We were sort of penciling ourselves in. And we're getting closer to August 1st, which was the trade deadline. And there were talks of getting rid of Teoscar Hernandez because he was underperforming. Uh, Ty France, who was a really good player last year, not living up to the hype this year. And they decided to trade Paul Seawald, who was one of our best players this season, the closer, for a couple of players, Dominic Canzone and Josh Rojas, middle infielder Rojas and outfielder Canzone from the Diamondbacks. And when I read that trade and read those stats, I thought, ugh, this is giving away our best relief pitcher, Seawald, for two guys, two projects, two guys who aren't going to immediately help us win. And then August 1st happens, and all of a sudden, the Mariners turn into arguably the best team in baseball. While at the same time, the Texas Rangers, who were smoking people in May and June and early July, turn into one of the worst teams in baseball. And it has slingshot Seattle into a tie for first place in the American League West. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm for, well... I was going to say, I'm forever the optimist. Maybe not, because I'm a Northwest sports fan, and I've seen all of these uh, moments crumble. Let's, let's be honest. What are the teams we played in August? The Angels without Mike Trout, so we sweep them, go 4-0 against them. San Diego Padres, we go 2-0 against them, and they've been a massive disappointment. One of the highest payroll teams with Juan Soto and Manny Machado and Bogarts and Fernando Tatis Jr., and they didn't put up much of a fight. Orioles beat us in a series, but then we get the Royals, one of the worst teams in baseball. We do what we're supposed to do. We take care of business against Houston. When we swept the Astros, I think that's when even the Mariners themselves were like, we got a chance to not only get into the playoffs, but if we can beat the Astros, we can beat anybody. It's about getting hot at the right time. They're hot at the right time. They're hot in the right way at the right time. You know, um, the Texas Rangers jumped way out in July, and everybody thought, oh boy, the Rangers are going to be the team to beat, maybe in the whole of the American League. They have really cooled down. And not to say that they could still make some noise, um, but they seem to be kind of trending in the wrong direction. I would say the Astros, at least in the AL West, represent the greatest threat to the Mariners. They're still continuing to play well. But with that being said, the uh, record between the Mariners and the Astros this year, Seattle's up 8-2. to two. 
Yeah. So not only is Seattle playing well, generally speaking, but they're playing well against the team they need to beat this year. They're going to play the Astros more this season. They play the Astros and the Rangers several more times this year. So they need to beat those teams. Yeah, and whenever you play a team, particularly in baseball, everybody knows really anybody can beat anybody. That being said, in 2017, 2018, when Houston was cheating, um, they were taking care of Seattle. I don't know if they needed to cheat to beat the Mariners in those years, but there's something to be said. Like, you know, when your record is 8-2 and two against someone, you're going in there confident. And it's not just like all the games have been played in Seattle and you're really just beating them because you're at home. When, we, when they swept them last weekend, it was in Houston. Now, since then, they've continued to win. And who have they played? The Royals, one of the worst teams in baseball. The Chicago White Sox, not very good, really bad. They get to continue and go on and play the Oakland A's, the worst team by record in baseball. After the A's, they get the Mets, who sold away every big player they had for a bunch of prospects. And then when you look towards the end of the season, they still have some tough games. They got a series against the Dodgers. But the last 10 games of the baseball season is basically going to be when the playoffs start. The last 10 games for the Mariners is a three-game series at Texas, then a three-game series at home versus Houston, and then another four-game series at home versus the Rangers. So I would have, I, I've got no reason to think, even though Texas has absolutely faltered and stubbed their toe. I think they're going to right the ship. Max Scherzer, after getting traded from the Mets, he's going to be sort of their new ace. And their their pitching's always been kind of okay during this 10-game ten, ten stretch where they haven't played well. It's their offense that just cooled off. But that's why there's 162 games in baseball. I think the offense comes back to life a little bit. So those last 10 games from September 22nd to October 1st is going to be basically – playoff time of year win or go home which is going to be really a lot of fun to watch that is going to be a lot of fun the end of the season is going to be great you know if you look around the rest of the baseball league you've got uh you know baltimore is doing really well out there in the east in that in that division that of course historically is always coming down to the the red Sox and the yankees both of those teams um are underperforming this yeah. season we'll just say that the yankees it's funny they've been talking about you know brian cashman the gm because oh it's a disaster it's a train wreck it's all of these things they're 62 and 67 they're under 500 but not by much i mean they're we were talking about it earlier if they were in the al central right now they'd be in second place they'd be in contention with the twins they'd be like four games behind the twins instead of being 18 and a half games behind the orioles so they're probably not going to make it this season neither is the red sox you got baltimore uh tampa bay of course started the season incredibly hot i believe they won something like 300 games in a row to start the season <laughs> they've cooled down a little bit but they could definitely still make it into the playoffs and be dangerous um it's looking like we're going to get the twins out of the central the weakest division in baseball is the AL Central. They're terrible, so good luck to either the Twins, maybe the Guardians, if something happens in the last month. But both, I don't, I don't think so. You're looking at the National League, the Braves and the Dodgers, top of the pile. Those teams are excellent. Um, my dark horse out of the uh, out of the NL this year will be the Phillies. If those bats can get going between Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber, they, they're hitting. They're hard to beat. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I watch a ton of National League baseball. I know the Braves are killing it. I know the Dodgers are killing it. Maybe maybe the Phillies. I, I'm right there with you. And 
I can tell you as a fantasy baseball player, I've had Trey Turner on my team uh, who plays for Philadelphia. He had a his fir- his worst season this year. The first um, hundred games were his worst first hundred games in his career. And Trey Turner, he is a legit all-star that Philadelphia was expecting to play like one, and he didn't for the first hundred games of the year. So he started to turn it around, though, so I agree with you. Philadelphia, their record doesn't look great, but the first half of the year, they were really underperforming. I think, and I was talking to Pat about this, I've really been kind of nerding out on baseball over the, over the last month since the trade deadline. I don't know who's going to beat Atlanta. Besides my Mariners, besides our Mariners, excuse me, <laughs> but Atlanta seriously like they, Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albie's, Marcelo Zuna, Austin Riley, Matt Olson, like they that lineup doesn't stop, and they have speed. They hit for average. They can hit home runs. I mean, it's they're really fun to watch. They got Strider and Max Fried at the top of the uh, rotation. I don't know who's going to beat them in the National League. I like the pick for Phillies as a dark horse, but they I mean they played really well last year in the playoffs, so are they like a true dark horse or did they just you know, did they just underperform during the first half of the year and they're playing uh, better now? The Reds were a good story earlier in the year and they've kind of faltered a little bit with their youth. It would be fun if they made it in. Again, the Dodgers, they they had a they just came off at one point. They're 7 and 3 in their last 10, but for a while there, they'd won uh, they'd won ten games in a row. Uh, the Diamondbacks were a fun story, but the wild card. There's going to be a handful of teams in there. I know a lot of folks on the West Coast like their San Francisco Giants. They just their offense hasn't done enough, and their pitching's good, but it's not great. So I think it's I think it's the Braves' division to lose, and then back on the American League side though. I think the American League is way more wide open. It's, that's that's what I'm just gonna say. It is way wide open. Like do I, like Baltimore has the best record, 81 wins right now, but the Rays have 79. The Mariners, Rangers, and Astros all have 73, and so it is way more tightened at the top. And do I believe in Baltimore that they're just gonna run away with it? Absolutely not. No way. I mean, and that's the thing. It's just like I could say, you, you, or you could say, anyone could say that out of the National League, there's a 90% chance that either the Braves, the Dodgers, or the Phillies yep. are going to the World Series. In the American League, it could be the Orioles, the Mariners, the Rangers, probably not the Twins, but hey, the the Tampa Bay Rays, the Houston Astros, the the, the Toronto Blue Jays, if yeah. they're you know like there's there's a there's no clear-cut favorite, which is why I'm calling it right now. I'm going to say Mariners Phillies oh. in the series this year. Mariners Phillies. Do Mariners fans allow them after breaking the longest playoff drought in all of American sports, the very next year they make it to the World Series, do Mariner fans allow themselves to pencil them into the World Series? I think most Mariner fans would just be like, I just want to make it to the playoffs. That's no problem. But they are one of the hottest teams. That is undeniable. And same thing like Atlanta. They They don't hit for power like Atlanta does even though yesterday they hit like five home runs. Again, it's against the Royals. It was against the Royals. So they've got some speed on the base paths. Jose Caballero's been a fast guy. Josh Rojas, 
The guy they picked up from Arizona has played way better. Cade Marlowe coming up from through the farm system. He's got speed. Of course, Julio Rodriguez is fast. And everybody who wasn't hitting earlier in the year, Genio Suarez, Ty France, Teoscar Hernandez, they've all picked it up and they've gotten sort of back to where we expected them to be. But I do think Seattle's pitching, Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, those top three are as good as any top three on any team, particularly in the American League. And I think it's even better than any team in the National League. Maybe not the Dodgers, but that's what gives me hope and makes me excited. But I am like, oh, I can't, I can't believe I'm saying that. I can't believe I'm saying they're going to play because last time we were this close was probably 2001 when we set the record for, you know, or tied the record for wins in a season and then just totally step on a rake and smash our nose into the handle. And it just, ugh, that was horrible. For two decades. No, I know. But, I mean, I'm expecting exponential progress. You know, you're right. For, like, 21 seasons or whatever, it was like, yes, all we want is to get into the playoffs. But now I expect the World Series, within a few seasons, we should have a Super Bowl title, I think, at this point. (laughs) My our Mariners' progress is what we're looking for. Stanley Cup or two, maybe some Olympic gold medals. That's how I figure it. I win a Pulitzer Prize or two yeah. along the way. So enjoy it, Mariner fans. Like you spent so so many times in coming into September first. It's like you know, let's just watch football. <laughs> let's get some. Yeah. Thank God, football season is starting <laughs> yeah. because once again they're thirty-eight and eighty. They're just that much. They're that much out of it, but they're not. So enjoy your Mariners. Watch them. Tune in. It's going to be a lot fun last last month of season and we're going to keep up on it so thanks everybody for uh listening we'll be back in next week to preview the nfl season thank you very much everybody we'll see you next time all right bye